following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. So this morning's reading is taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, and can be found on page 1008 on the Church Bible. It's Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What's these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, No money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you, or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, over the last few Sundays, we've been journeying alongside Jesus in the early weeks of his ministry, but we haven't been travelling far geographically. After his baptism and his time of temptation in the desert, the rest of our encounters with Jesus so far in Mark have all taken place around the shores of Lake Galilee. Now, for the first time since his baptism, since the start of his public ministry, Jesus goes back home. But no open-top bus parades through the streets for Jesus, though. Not even a shiny golden postbox. Instead, he comes back to lots of questions. And this passage we're reading today has lots of questions for us, too. To continue with the sporting metaphor, it's a game of two halves. The first half sees Jesus back in his hometown, emphatically not getting a hero's welcome. The second half sees him instructing his disciples, who must have been feeling a bit like fish out of water, away from their stomping ground of Lake Galilee. Now the first question I had when reading this passage was, why did Jesus go back home? Did he go home to recover after the intensity of the first weeks of his ministry? 
He has, after all, just raised his first person from the dead. Jesus is famous in Galilee. Crowds follow him wherever he goes, and he has to sneak out early in the morning to get opportunities to pray quietly. His family came to find him earlier, at the end of Mark 3, but they don't seem to be getting what he is doing. But for whatever reason, Jesus has gone home to his family. It's likely that the full extent of the legend that was building up around him in Galilee hadn't followed him home to Nazareth. They've heard rumours, of course. Here he is teaching in the synagogue, whereas in the more recent reports of his time around the Sea of Galilee, he'd been limited to preaching in the open air. Now, my given title for today's sermon is Sent Out. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like rejection. There's nothing more disillusioning than people turning down invitations. If we invite someone to a service or an alpha course or an event and they say, no thanks, we feel like a failure. We feel like we've let Jesus down. Why are we so bad at sharing our faith? And then we look to Jesus. Crowds followed him. We look to the stories of Acts. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and about 3,000 people became believers all in one day. But those same crowds who cheered for Jesus on Palm Sunday shouted crucify him less than a week later. And a story like this one reminds us that we should not be afraid of rejection. Jesus teaches in the synagogue. And yes, many who heard him were amazed, it tells us in verse 1. But their amazement does not lead to worship. They have all sorts of questions. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Now they know Jesus. They watched him growing up. Maybe they've got furniture he's built. How could he be performing these miracles? How could he be teaching in this incredible way? Their questions, the things things they think they know about Jesus, lead to their ultimate rejection of him. Now, the Talking Jesus survey, which sought to find out what people in this country know and believe about Jesus, found 22% of English adults who they surveyed believing that Jesus is a mythical or fictional character. That figure rises to 25% among 18 to 34-year-olds. Now, that is simply not true. No self-respecting historian would say that. No Muslim would say that. But what people think they know is a massive stumbling block to faith. If you want a more positive percentage, I think, anyway. A survey of the effects of Back to Church Sunday a few years back found that 10% of the people who were invited were still going back to the church they were invited to six months later. Your reaching out might be rejected, 
but it might just transform someone else's life and boggle your mind. And yet Nazareth is not just a place of rejection. I don't know about you, but when I looked at it, I love verse 5. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus couldn't do much, except totally transform the lives of a few individuals forever. Jesus couldn't do much, except reveal his power, even when he was being rejected. Jesus couldn't do much, except show exactly who he was. And and if that was nothing, there must be lots more amazing stuff that has not featured in the story we've heard so far in Mark. Jesus is honest. He is, at this point, without honour in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And yet, what happens later in the story? Paul describes James to the Galatians as a pillar of the church. He was, without a doubt, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and is widely believed to have been the James who wrote the letter of James. James, who will become the anchor man of Christianity while Peter and Paul are off on their travels, is right now simply a puzzled, perhaps angry, younger brother. Now, as Aaron told us two weeks ago, the harvest comes in God's time and in God's way. Now, if that's the case for Jesus' family, that's got to be reassuring and encouraging for the rest of us. Now, I want you to look up at the ceiling over there. Every church has rogue balloons. Every church. My kids are responsible for seven in one particular church we visited once in London. It's very embarrassing. Those balloons up there have been up there for ages now. Most of us haven't got a clue when they first appeared in the church. Even those of us who remember the occasion when they were released never give it a moment's thought. And isn't that a bit like some of our feeble attempts to share our faith? We show that kindness when it's least expected. We speak of Jesus in a way that barely makes sense, even to us. And yet, that act of kindness, those words might be remembered. They might be a pivotal moment in someone's life. And that is why we have to keep on keeping on, because God's timing is not our timing. People rejected Jesus. People will reject us. And yet, a verse I love in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And as we move on to the second half of our passage, we see Jesus, despite the rejection he has experienced, moving on with his plan. He calls the twelve to him and sends them out for the first time independently of him. Up to this point, they've been following him, learning from him, and this must have been a scary moment for them. A bit like when someone who's been learning to fly has to go off and do their first solo flight. 
all of a sudden there's no one to help you. You're on your own. Jesus is their teacher. They want to be with him. And yet he's sending them away. Not on their own, admittedly. They're sent out two by two so they can support each other. But what might they have been thinking? I'm just a fisherman. Nobody's going to listen to me. I can't do the amazing things Jesus has been doing. He's special. I'm not. What if people don't listen to me? What if they hate me? What if they chase me out of town? But Jesus gives them authority over impure spirits. He doesn't give them a script to follow or a guide to preaching, a hundred-page manual on how to be a disciple. He gives them the authority which is his and his only to give. And he sends them out. Now, it's important to understand that the instructions about sandals and shirts and bags of food were for a particular time. This was a time-sensitive mission. Time was of the essence. The disciples were not to be encumbered by lots of baggage. It's the ancient equivalent of travelling hand luggage only, so you don't get stuck in queues at baggage reclaim. And yet, it is also more than that. It's about the disciples learning where to put their trust. They were not to put their trust in their ability to have everything they needed with them at all times. No packing spreadsheets allowed. They were to put their trust in God and in God alone. God will provide their needs. Now, I don't know about you, but trusting in God to provide my needs is something which has taken me a long time to learn. In the first 10 years of our marriage, um, we went through the final year of Paul's PhD, and then six, I did the maths recently, six postdocs in two countries, six homes, as well as a period of sofa surfing in between homes, while picking up small boys along the way. And I was rubbish. Each time we got to the point of not knowing where we'd be going next, I doubted God. I got anxious. But each time the job and the place to live were provided. And looking back now, I can see God's plan throughout that whole period. And I'm a teeny bit better at trusting him. I never had the benefit of an exciting year out before or after university. But I know plenty of people who did and who learned lessons about trusting in God that saw them through the rest of their lives that way. At the Last Supper, Luke describes Jesus asking his disciples, When I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? When they answer, nothing, his response is to say, Now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. They'd learnt the lesson of God's provision. And now the advice has changed. And I can't help wondering if there's something else in play, in play here too in this instruction. The disciples are not being sent just to preach to people, but to live with them. To let people do things for them. To let people look after them. This is not a one-way thing. 
Samuel Wells, in his book, The Nazareth Manifesto, talks about being with. They are to preach, yes, but they are also to be with people, alongside them, serving them, yes, but also letting them serve us, just with them. Now, the disciples will be rejected, as Jesus was, as we will be, and they are told what to do, not to stress out, not to panic, not to refuse to leave until everyone there becomes a Christian, but instead to leave that place and shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against them. Orthodox Jews shook the dust off their feet when they returned to the Holy Land from Gentile regions. Paul and Barnabas do just this after their preaching is rejected in Acts 13. Now, our feet don't get particularly dusty, muddy more like, or we might get chewing gum stuck to the soles of our shoes. But sometimes we need to accept that we need to walk away and make a fresh start elsewhere. It is not all on us. Jesus is here preparing the disciples for their role during his lifetime, but more importantly for their role after Easter. Jesus knows that he won't be around to teach them then, so he's getting the lessons in now while he can. Now, I have three boys. I want them to be competent adult males and know how to use the washing machine. It's a long-term project. I need to start teaching them now. It's no good waiting until they've left home and trying to explain it via WhatsApp because that will not work. The disciples' early ventures out in their pairs were amazingly successful. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Maybe part of that success was due to the fact that they hadn't gone out with lots of hang-ups. They weren't constantly checking the manual to see if they were doing the right thing. They weren't worried if they were rejected in one village because they could just move on to the next one. And I wonder if that's what we need to do too. Yes, guidebooks can be useful. But sometimes you can get to know a place better just by exploring. Yes, an evangelism guidebook may be helpful, but listening to what people are saying and responding as best you can may be the best thing you can do. Yes, rejection hurts, but we need to move on. We are not loved by God because of how good we are at sharing our faith. We are not loved by God because of anything we do. We are loved by God because God is love and we are his children. So, let's keep on keeping on. Remembering that rejection doesn't matter. Remembering that all that matters is God's love for us and God's love for the people around us whom we can point towards him. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.